you know, while DIY is harder, like you go into it with that mindset of like, I'm learning. I'm not like trying to kill an elk. I am learning to kill an elk. Mm-hmm. And like, it's all upside and you love it. Welcome to the Baxter Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today's podcast is part of the Hunt Elk in 2020 series, where I walk my friend and new bow hunter Josh through what he needs to know for his first over-the-counter public land bow hunt. It's based on everything I learned that made me successful for three out of the first four years I bow hunted elk. I've found that I'm learning just as much as he is from this process, and I hope you do too. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Baxter Bowman podcast. I'm Baxter Bowman and I'm here with... This is Josh. Josh is back. We're planning out his 2020 season, going over a lot of the, the different things we've been writing about lately. So Josh, do you, uh, you have answers to all these key questions? I do not. What? <laughs> yeah, I don't have all the answers for sure. You're the one with the answers. Um, that's why I'm here. Oh, I'm supposed to be. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today we're covering three key questions. One, solo hunting or going with a partner. Second one, should you go guided or should you go DIY? And the third is, should I backpack or should I car camp? Because these are like three of the big questions guys have as they're planning their trip. And answering these now really changes the way you train, you learn, you think, um, you buy, you know, take plane tickets, that sort of thing. So Josh, you have that all figured out already? Not at all. <laughs> the first one a little bit. I mean, as of now, I do plan on going solo and has I have planned to go solo for since last year uh, when I did my scouting trip. And then I a big part of my goal has been to get out, go backpacking more often, like even lately going backpacking turkey hunting solo just to get more comfortable out there um but yeah i've even even thought about inviting a couple friends who because i know friend i have friends who are really into backpacking and camping but just not a lot of friends that are into hunting especially living here in california but um yeah what do you think is like what do you think are some of the most important pros and cons of going solo versus going with a partner yeah and those are that's a pretty typical about a questions and it's I love it, man, because it's taking me back to when I first started. At the first two years, I think I went solo. And ever since then, I've kind of gone with my wife. I'm very, very lucky to be able to say that. She's great. But uh, there's I don't really think there's a answer one way or the other. The only answer I can give guys unequivocally is like don't let it stop you from going. You know, if you if you gotta go solo or you gotta go with a partner, like both are great. Like get out there, do it. You won't regret it. Uh, but there's really three things that jump to mind when I'm thinking about that decision. One is safety. The second is like your ability to split the load. And kind of the third and the one you, you edged on, we'll close it out with it is like the control versus conflict. And there's a lot of, oh, a lot of dynamics around a partner and like what's good or bad. And a lot of that depends on you, mm-hmm. which is the answer you'll always get here. It right? depends on your situation. Yeah. Maybe we just talk safety first. Cause I've got a pretty strong viewpoint on that one. Okay. Um, Because a lot of guys, you know, they think safety is about going with someone, right? And that's going to automatically make me safer. Um, And I definitely don't think that's the case. Uh, If you both, let's put it this way. If you go with a guy and you don't have anything to alert anyone else, 
where you go alone, you don't have anything to alert someone else. Yeah, it's going to be safer with a partner. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to safety, it's 100% about the response time of the person that's getting your butt out of tr- trouble, right? Mm-hmm. So if you put a broad, broad head through your leg, you fall down a cliff, you do whatever it is, if you're with a partner, guess what? He's got to hike all the way out. He's got to get in the car. He's got to drive the cell phone service. He's got to go find somebody and be like, my buddy's over here. Come get him. So you can bleed out in those five hours pretty darn easy, right? So I think a lot of the things that have happened lately uh, with new technology have really changed that game. Uh, The far and away number one is the personal locator beacon or PLB. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's confusing but what it is it's a variant of this technology that used to be on boats or is still on boats it's called epurbs um, i won't go through all the acronyms and stuff basically when the boat goes down this device transmits a signal to satellites instantly that says we're in trouble send someone now so it took them a really long time to get their head around them i'm talking about the national oceanic and airways administrative service or whatever their noaa uh, to get their head around letting people use it on land, but they legalized that technology there like the early 2010 kind of time frame, And that's really changed the game because now you can have this thing that when you press a button, someone's coming over the hill instantly, like within 30 seconds, they know you're in trouble. They're going to come get you. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So on a boat, they call it an EPIRB and on land, they call it a PLB. A PLB. Yeah. And there's... I think the one I use is called uh, like an ACR, um, what is it, the ACR Rescue Link. Mm-hmm. And that is a true PLB. You get a lot of guys that are like, oh, what about the, the InReach Mini? Uh, and that is not technically a PLB. I think it's really important distinction. They're both good. They're both going to work. But for example, the one I've got, you replace the battery every five years and it just sits there. You don't use it for anything else, right? So when mm-hmm. I pull that trigger... That thing works and it works the first time. It works every time and it keeps broadcasting for like 36 to 72 hours. Long time, right? Versus, and it goes straight to, you have to register with the government to own one, which sounds scary. Don't worry about it. It's pretty simple. You renew it every year or two. But like, I pull that trigger and they're like, we're coming for you. The inReach one, it's great, but it, really has two weaknesses. One, it's not a government system. So you have to communicate with someone, be like, hey, I'm hurt. I need help. Come get me. I think if you do call for it and don't say anything, they'll eventually just come get you, but you still got to communicate with them. But most importantly is that the battery on that device is also the same battery you're using for texting your buddies, um, for just checking out your GPS waypoints, you know, if you accidentally turn it on at night, you can run it all the way out or, hey, you're in an emergency near the end of your trip and you only have like an hour of battery left. There's some serious drawbacks there, right? Makes sense. Right. So one is the PLB, which is like the legit, you do not use this unless it's in case of emergency, don't even turn it on. And then the other one is some kind of communicating device um, yeah. that you can use out in the woods. Yeah, they're calling satellite communicators. And the oh, thing okay. about them, and the reason most guys like them more than a true PLB is that you can communicate, right? You can text your, your wife, your buddy, your, you know, the packer is a really big one too. Um, so the short answer is both. I mean, they're both like 200 something bucks. The satellite mm-hmm. communicator takes a subscription, which is a pain too. It's like 30 bucks a month. The PLB right. is free. It's a government service, right? But it's not truly free. Like if you pull that trigger, 
it's going to cost 10 to 20,000 bucks if you didn't need to. So you got to really be sure that you want to use it. And they do that to discourage people like getting scared, calling in search and rescue, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, or like lazy people. I think in, a, in some other country, I don't remember where I was. We were on a hike and they were saying that so many people were calling the helicopter just because like they were too lazy to hike out. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah they got to get rid of that. So, so anyway, we, we went down the rabbit hole a little bit there, but safety like if you have one of those 10 times out of 10 i'd rather be alone with one of those than with a buddy and not having one you know granted if you're alone you could hit your head and pass out it's always gonna be slightly safer with a butter buddy but when you have one of those things like you're gonna be pretty safe right right so either way whether you're going solo or with a partner you should have one of those and if you have one of those most like safety shouldn't be that big of a factor yeah i don't know I don't think it's like a big factor in making that decision or really shouldn't be. Um, it's pretty easy if you walk, you know, your significant other or someone through that for right. them to understand it and feel pretty good. I mean, it doesn't negate what you need to do every time, which is leave your plans with somebody, use multiple navigation aids, you know, know how to use a compass, a GPS, a map, like all these things or know the drainage you drop into, the river goes to here, like that kind of stuff. Stay within your limits. Like, be a little boy scout, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Safety's safety's your responsibility, but they really, really are a nice fallback option. Yeah. Would you recommend getting both? Uh, I currently, yeah. Yeah. Short answer, yes, but I still just own the, the PLB because I've really gone to the point where I'm like, oh, I'm going to spend another 300 bucks on that thing. But uh, right. You know, the big thing about a satellite communicator, and then we'll, we'll get off it, is they also allow you to pull weather reports down. Oh, okay. So if you're, you know, in for a week or something, uh, we got nuked by a snowstorm one year. If we'd had one, we would have known, right? We would have known to get out of there and wasted several thousand feet and a lot of miles going in. So that's a big benefit. And if you want to call a packer too, you could text them, which is huge. So you don't have to like pack all the way out. It saves you a trip, right? Yeah, totally. So yeah, I'd get both if you can, but you know, if you got to pick one, I'd go PLB. Okay. Yeah. So that's safety, you know, factor two in solo hunting. If you're thinking about this is like splitting the load with somebody uh that's cost in you know, the weight you're carrying packing trips all that stuff so cost if you're driving somewhere you can split the gas money you can split lodging it's pretty self-explanatory uh that one's not huge too because if you are solo you can like sleep in the car or something but uh you know hey you go with a buddy you can split stuff it's a cheaper trip it's a factor right especially packing out right yeah packing out's big so that's that's uh that's when you can get around with a packer so if you you have someone in that area you've called ahead of time they've agreed to take your call when you get an elk down and you're most importantly in an area that a horse can actually get to i've got mm-hmm. a great story on that one um pushing horses up the hill by their butts which is not a <laughs> good place to be on a horse because <laughs> they're generally not stoked about you pushing them uphill by their butt that's either funny. yeah so think about that but uh, you can call a packer and get around that. But yeah, yeah. If you don't have a packer, you gotta be in shape, man. Like mm-hmm. You really gotta be in shape because that means you're gonna do, you know, four trips at least for a full-grown elk. And if you do the math, you're two miles in. That's you know, in and out. That's four miles times four, right? That's 16 miles of hiking. So it's uh, with you know, 80 to 100 pounds each trip. So that's yeah, that's insane. That is a lot. You can do it, right? It's totally possible. And like, it's one of those things that we don't really understand our limits, so we push them. Yeah. But you just got to be prepared for it. 
Yeah. Especially for a guy like me, who's so light, like I weigh like 150 pounds <laughs> and I went backpack Turkey hunting last weekend with a 35 pound pack. And I was like, get already tired. And now I'm thinking about just how much more training I have to do to do that at elevation. Yeah. So got a long way to go. Long way to go. Yeah. We'll talk about that. What in like two episodes here. It's a lot of good tips, tips for that one. But cool. yeah, the other thing about splitting the load is you can, you're, to your point about the pack weight is you can split the tent, the stove, the water purifier, even the kill kit. You only really need one kill kit for two guys because you know if two people shot an elk and got one down at the same time, like that's a great problem you probably will never have. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you can split those things between people. That means your pack's going to be, you know, two to five pounds lighter depending on your gear. Well, it's kind of a factor, right? Yeah. Uh, something to think about. And then there's two other things like calling elk, right? It's a little easier with somebody who can sit back and pull them into you instead of them coming to where you are and knowing you're there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a little logistics, setting up camp and things. It's really nice when I'm setting up the tent, my wife's boiling the water, kind of multitasking. Yeah. So there are little things to think about, but I don't think any of those are like really, really game changers either. Yeah. But it sounds like in terms of the safety factor, that's uh, about the same, whether you go solo or with a partner, the second factor of the load, definitely going with a partner, you know, plus one on the partner versus mm -hmm. solo. And then what was the third factor that you were talking about? Yeah. So that's, that's probably the most important one <laughs> and that's control versus conflict, right? Or, or right. your interaction with that person. So this is something that I definitely warn guys against because when you get into the backcountry. There's very different things that happen with someone you don't you don't know or with yourself alone, right? And this is about knowing yourself. So being alone in the woods is tough, right? Like it's mentally strenuous. Like it's a pretty intense thing. Um, I mean, you've done solo backpacking trips. You're familiar with this. But like that first night when you haven't backpacked in a while, it feels a little weird. Like mm -hmm. maybe, maybe I'm not Mr. Outdoorsman and guys don't get that. But I feel like the majority of the guys that, you know, finally have get over their ego, they admit that, right? It's difficult <laughs> yeah. to be back there. So it's definitely going to be a little more mentally strenuous on you if you're solo. And like that comes down to you know, knowing yourself, like, are you capable of doing that? You're always so much more capable of what you think. Like it's possible. You can always go in a short distance. There's ways to like gradually break into it, but just know that. Now, when you tell yeah, people that, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah. And I was going to say, and if you've never gone solo backpacking before, it's, you know, really good idea to probably just go maybe on your scouting trip solo. I think for me that helped a bunch because I was my first time solo backpacking last year in September when I went scouting in Colorado. Mm -hmm. um, and then this last weekend was my second time solo backpacking, uh, going turkey hunting. And yeah, that first night did feel uncomfortable, but then you get your, I was surprised at how comfortable I became the second night. Yeah. And, and it was awesome actually. Yeah, it goes away, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I remember my first first night solo backpacking for elk. I'd done it once or twice before. I was like, oh, this is fine. Like, I'm, I'm good. You just started to settle down and really feel sleepy. And then it was the only time I've ever had a bad interaction. That's a whole other podcast, like camping close to elk. But I had one basically, I camped on the trail being an idiot. It basically walked <laughs> into my tent. <laughs> and, and elk did? Yeah, I mean, it was... No way. And then it, you know, it blew and I'd never, you know, that noise. And I didn't really know what that was at the time. <laughs> so, oh man, like a heart rate of 190. It was pretty, that's insane. Yeah, it was good. So, wow. You go out to find elk and elk found you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, 
but it was even better as I didn't see one the day before the day after I was like, dang it. The only one I find is the one that freaks me out at two in the morning. So, Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's great. But anyway, so if you're, you know, if you tell guys that they're like, Oh, I'll go with a partner. That'll be great. Not great. Right. Like I think the guys that are married might get this illustration. Like when you're putting close quarters with somebody and you maybe don't have the same motivation, the same personality style, the same attitude, you know, all that sort of stuff, like conflict can occur. (laughs) (laughs) And like, you know, in like a marriage, you might not be forced to like figure it out. So if you, I hear a lot of guys that are like, Hey, I want to go with a buddy and I want to just go for a week. Like I'd say, really think that through. If you know this guy well, and you really are familiar with them and you've been on trips with that person before, great. It could be really cool and can be this amazing thing where you get a bonding experience. But at the same time, like you really don't want to go with someone unproven. I've heard a lot of stories from guys who like everything's great. They're both fired up. They went to the gym together for six months. They get to Colorado. It's day two or three, you know, rainstorm, no elk. Guys are feeling really down. Guy breaks a piece of his equipment. It's like, screw it, man. I'm going back home. And the other guy's like, you are not going back home. I want to hike. You know, I want to do this the full week. And then they're just kind of in this horrible situation where one guy that owns the car wants to leave and they get in fights, that sort of thing. Right. Right. That makes so much sense. Actually, um, probably the best advice people give me for relationship stuff is like, go on a long trip with your girlfriend and you'll find out (laughs) if you guys are going to be okay or not. Like like if you can make it, Um, but same thing happens, you know, when you go to college and you have roommates that you don't know by the end of the year, you're going to be there either be best friends or you're like not talking again. Um, yeah, you're gonna hate so, them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's and I oh man, I I did a horrible job because I took my wife when we were dating her first time and we shot an elk the first morning. Uh, this is like the second or third year I was hunting. It's like, oh man, I've ruined her for life. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, Oh wow, this is elk hunting. <laughs> yeah, she's like, This is great. I, I want to hunt. So yeah, she's uh but she's been through a lot since then and she still wants it just as bad. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. But uh yeah, so you know, there's factors to think there. Uh, you know, I'm always, like you said earlier, like always go on a backpacking trip beforehand, even if you're solo, just because there's a ton of other benefits to it. You get to test gear out. You might figure out this one little thing you want to modify that would have driven you nuts over the course of a week, whatever. But really test out your partner. You know, so if you're going to go with yeah. somebody, I'd say make sure you spend at least a weekend on a backpacking trip with them. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So anyway, lots of factors for solo you know, looking at solo versus a partner, we could spend two hours on this one, but we'll, we'll keep trucking since you got a lot of decisions to make, but it's at the end of the day, it's, it's about knowing yourself and what you're interested in. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think my biggest concern was packing out the elk, but now I'm, I'm curious to hear, I'm sure we'll talk on a different podcast about packing out and mm-hmm. uh, how to hire a packer and all that. So I, as of now, I guess that's what I'm probably going to do. Yeah. And the short version of that is that a packer's four to 600 bucks. That sounds really expensive, but trust me, if you shoot your first elk, you would, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and after trip one, you're like, yeah, that's the best 600 bucks I could spend on the planet. Right. Uh, and they, they're generally pretty easy to get lined up. Uh, okay. up. It's, it's not that big a deal. And even if you are off trail, you can usually get, you know, do short trips to get that meat on, onto the trail itself. Right. And then right. they can come get it. So it's, you know, makes it a hell of a lot easier. Um, which is a good okay, feeling. Cool. So, so while we're talking about packing and like guided elk hunting, that's another one. Uh, we talked about this, but I think guys always think 
should I go DIY? Should I go guided? Especially my first year. Um, and what I really like to tell them is it's a spectrum. It's not just like an either or option. There's actually like five or six different options on that continuum of like totally do it yourself or have someone do it for you. Mm-hmm. But have you thought about using a guide at all? I have actually. The only reason I thought about using a guide, or I guess the biggest reason is that the knowledge and the expertise, I'm just wondering if using a guide can help shorten my learning curve yeah. instead of me going out there, hearing an elk, thinking it's close, but it's like super far and yeah, just being confused all the time. Yeah. That's, that's probably like the number one thing guys say when they're brand new, they're like, should I do this? And as an aside, like I'm pretty hardcore DIY. Like a lot of guys are, it gets really popular but i don't think there's anything wrong with going guided like there's nothing wrong with it if you got the right approach like whatever gets you out there man that's mm-hmm. what's important to your question i do think that if you know you want to go diy in the long run or you just want to learn elk hunting the guide unlike a lot of other sports actually won't help you that much because guides are essentially a service to get you to land that no one else can get to like almost no guides do public land DIY elk hunting. Oh, okay. They might do public land, but they'll do like a pack trip or a base camp that's so much further away from the road or somewhere where they can get you to a location where no one else is around, right? And that's that's amazing and that's really good, but the type of hunting you're going to have there is so different than highly pressured elk near a road that you're doing yourself that you'll learn some things, you won't learn others, right? Yeah. What are some things that you would learn and things that you would just not learn at all? I think the single biggest factor on killing an elk in public land is like knowing where to go, like on a micro level, like where the spots are, right? And the the guide, even if he'll take you to a spot, is almost never going to tell you all the ins and outs of it and that sort of thing because he doesn't want mm-hmm. you coming back. Or um, Also, like I said, there's no pressure there. So it's not like elk the single most important thing in finding elk is figuring out where the humans are and not going there because <laughs> right. that's, like, that's what they do. Uh, so you won't learn it. Yeah, the other thing about being guided is that it's expensive, man. And like, you know, I'm in a middle life stage. You're at a, you know, a little bit younger life stage, like mm-hmm. four to 10,000 bucks for a week is that's big money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there goes the guiding option. I'm not going guided. guided. Yeah. <laughs> and you can, I mean, you can fully equip yourself like really well equip yourself for like 4,000 bucks mm-hmm. DIY hunting. You could at 2000 bucks, you can still make the trip. No problem. So, and then that gear you can use year after year after year, you know, three to five years for most of the stuff. So yeah, that's that's a huge factor. Um, What about, yeah. um, What about guiding, using a guide for a confidence builder? Um, Like how I I went on a a guided trip for deer hunt on like a piece of private land in Texas, just because I never shot anything before. And so I wanted to get that repetition in and shoot. I don't know if it's worth that much money or if there's a easier way to do it, like maybe going on a guided pig hunt locally and it's like 500 bucks and you can shoot something with your bow just to get that confidence. Yeah. No, well, that's a good, I mean, that's a good use of a guide, right? Cause yes, you're getting their expertise, but you're getting access to that land that you wouldn't get. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go into the ethics of like high fence hunting and all that stuff. Now I personally don't really like it, but I don't think, yeah, we'll, we'll go there later. Just don't want to start yeah. it off on a weird <laughs> thing, but you're getting access, right? Um, and you also can pay them for like a day or two, which is cool. Like it's right. great for a new hunter to go do that, learn it if you're truly new um, to it. But when it comes to like went to elk hunting, you've got 
there's really a spectrum of things you can do, right? There's true DIY, like you're doing everything. You have all the knowledge and the equipment. You can actually get a guide to do something um, called a drop camp, which is they literally will take you back in with the horse. They'll drop a giant heavy tent and a lot of your gear there. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go out and they'll say, we'll come get you in you know, a week or 10 days, right? Uh, and that might be like a thousand to 2000 bucks a person, which is still not chump change, but hey, you're in an area where no one else is. You've got a great location. Uh, that's a huge option for guys that like have friends that aren't maybe that fit or like kind of want to go, but you just want to break them in slowly. Like, oh, family, interesting, right? Like my my dad and my sister. I'm trying to get them into elk hunting, and that would be a great way to do it because you're like, hey, just like go ride the horses, see the sights. You can hang out in the tent. Just, oh, uh, see what I'm saying? Very cool. Yeah, so it's almost like you can pitch it to them, like, hey, we're gonna go on this cool backcountry. Thing. It, it's like a little more comfortable. What is that called? A drop camp? A drop camp. Yeah. And that's a, okay. that's a pretty common one. You have to book them pretty far ahead of time because guys have it. You know, the other one we talked about already is the packer, right? That's mm-hmm. a little less aggressive than the drop camp. Then there's the drop camp. There's an option past the drop camp, which is like a supported drop camp. They will drop a cook with you right? oh, or wow. someone to take care of it. So you just, you literally come back, eat the food. You're just hunting the whole time. It's kind of wow. nice. Then there's like, that's kind of like partially guided and I call that outfitted too. Okay. Um, and then there's fully guided and fully guided can be one-on-one. It can be one-on-two. It can be one guiding camp for like five people. Mm-hmm. Again, this is not like there's these options. It's like a continuum, but on the far end, you're looking at like 10 grand on the true date or right. DIY end. You're looking at like $0 other than all the crap you have to buy. Right. Yeah. So it's almost, to me, it sounds like on the spectrum, it's almost balancing your short-term goals of getting an elk versus your long-term goals of becoming a good DIY elk hunter. Yeah, exactly. And this is like, and this is where I get to launch into my little diatribe because, you know, I think anything in life that comes easy, you're just not going to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Like I think a lot, probably a lot of guys nodding along right now. It's the things that you love the most are the things that you're going to work really hard for because you value them, you understand them, you have a knowledge and a comprehension of what's going on. And so, you know, while DIY is harder, like if you go into it with that mindset of like, I'm learning, I'm not like trying to kill an elk, I am learning to kill an elk. Mm-hmm. And like, it's all upside and you love it, right? Uh, right. So if you're going into elk hunting, you're like, I just want something on the wall. I would also kind of discourage you from even elk hunting because like, you just go buy steaks right? like, <laughs> more cost effective. And like, if you've got to prove to people your X or Y, like you got some other stuff to work on, but that like you're, I think it's important to really know that and like what you're interested in. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause a lot of guys are they're just going to try to get something and who knows? I mean, maybe it's your bucket list item. You just wanted to go shoot an elk your whole life. You know, you're going to do it for a year. There's there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's free country. Right. Go do your thing. Um, and guided hunts, great. Uh, without a doubt, you're probably going to have a higher success rate with a guide. Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. So it hits that short-term goal, but may not be best for the long-term goal of learning truly how to DIY elk hunt. Yeah. If that's the outcome. You're definitely still going to learn some stuff though. Like, don't get me wrong. If you go with a the guide, there's, there's a lot of things you will learn, but... Uh, I don't think it's, it's not like if you went with a guide, you're going to be five times better the next year DIY. Like you might be better just because you've gone for a year, but. Right. Yeah. And so that's, I guess I haven't made that decision yet. I guess I know I'm not going to go fully guided, but I didn't know 
about that continue continuum, especially that drop camp seems pretty comfortable, like yeah. a good option. Um, but yeah, something to think about. Yeah, it's a great option. I really, uh, I've never been on one actually, but I've always wanted to. Like, I think it's a, it's a great situation, right? Yeah. Uh, but you do, I do know that the guys that run those, they run them in the same location year after year, and they tend to book out super fast because, gotcha. You know, if you and I go on a drop camp, we both kill an elk within three days. We're like, man, this is great. Mm-hmm. What are we doing? We're booking that next week. Right. Uh, so the guys that get in there, if it's a good drop camp, we're gonna, gonna book it out pretty quick. There's only a is, few weeks a year. Is it expensive? No, it's you know, it's that one to three thousand dollar range okay. per person. I mean, that's expensive. Don't get me wrong, but that's yeah. not like the five to not ten like, grand for a guide. Right, right. And the main benefit of a drop camp is they're putting you in a location where there's elk. And also, I mean, they can get you really deep in there without you having to do the work. Basically, yeah, you just get somewhere super deep, and uh, it kind of combines the benefits of car camping or base camping with backpacking, and that you're way some way far back somewhere that you can truly rest up and get a good night's sleep. Right. Even still, like I tell guys this all the time, like oh, I don't want to, I don't want to drop camp because then I'm like I, I'm not going to backpack. I'm like, well, why don't you backpack and drop camp? <laughs> you got the best of all worlds, man. Like you're already back there. So a two mile backpacking trip puts you in like nowheresville. Oh, right? yeah, so you could yeah. go with people, bring your backpacking gear and just take little like day or two trips. Right. Yeah. Your, your starting point is just so much deeper than anybody else. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Exactly. But that's a really good segue into kind of the last and like the biggest question you get from a lot of guys, which is backpacking or car camping. So you, you sounds like you know, you've been doing a lot of backpacking, so you kind of already have that in your head. But have you thought about you know, those two options? Um, how would you actually define? I because when you when you say car camping, I think about like parking the car and then sleeping next to the car, like on a fire pit and like there's a bench or something. Um, and when I think about backpacking, there's a wide range of what backpacking could mean to me. It could mean hiking out two miles, setting up a base camp, and hiking within like a two mile radius of that base camp or mm-hmm. hiking out hunting all day camping at night wherever i end up tired and then waking up hiking all day hunting all day and basically what would you call that bivy or like yeah bivy style yeah those are that's really good thanks for thanks for saying that there's you know when i think base camping or car camping i'm just thinking of anywhere you're camping that's on a road so you could have an rv you could be camping next to your car you could do what i do and you have a little cheap six inch memory foam mattress from Amazon. That's amazing in the bed of your truck. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. uh, it's just somewhere where you're hunting from a road, basically probably should just say road hunting. Okay. And then backpacking, um, maybe we get into the pros and cons of backpacking first and then the pros and cons of car camping. And then we can dive into like why I think actually both is the best answer, which confuses a lot of guys, but we'll talk about that in a sec. But backpacking to answer your original question. Yeah. There's different styles. There's like, hardcore go way in the back bivy hunt don't you know you always have your camp on your back then there's what people call like spike camping which is you backpack way in there you drop camp off and then you hunt from that camp Mm -hmm. right so there's kind of a hybrid approach right when you're at the car you're hunting from a base camp every morning when you're backpacking you're either hunting and fit on your back or hunting from a different location right right okay so i guess this last weekend when i went turkey hunting i did a spike camp because i went in friday set up camp and then I never moved my camp. Like in the mo- next morning, I just hunted around the area, came back, slept in that same spot. Then the third day, woke up, hiked around. And then yeah. at the end, at the end of the trip, packed up my tent, then left. 
Yeah, and this one's totally shades of gray because you can you know, leave your camp there half the day. You can leave it there for the morning. You could you know pack it up in the dark. You know, there's, there's right, not really right. like a true bivy camp or a true spike camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I am fairly opinionated against is like a, a take it up there and leave it spike camp because it kind of gives you the downsides of both approaches because you have to haul this heavy thing all the way up there and deal with you know sweating it out. Then you drop it off and elk are super mobile. Like you might find elk in one spot and they move and they're gone the next morning. So now you've committed to taking this thing all the way in there, dropping it off. And you might be hunting in an area that just doesn't have elk in it anymore. So my general thought is if you're backpack hunting, I'd go more the bivy style, which is like, keep it on your back. Cause there's so many times I've been like chasing an elk and it goes all the way until dark or something like that. Uh, in reality, most of the time I backpack, I'm kind of halfway in between. You'll go up, I'll find an area with elk. I'll set up camp before the evening. since that's kind of prime time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't have any problem with setting tents up, like almost in the middle of elk. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Last year, you know, I think you know this already, but I was sitting, I went to an area I knew was good. The, the opening day, um, it's two years opening day, but lucky ducky, right? Uh, where uh, I was sitting down eating dinner, getting ready for the first evening hunt, and an elk walked by <laughs> like 30 <laughs> yards. And I don't, Insane. I won't go through the whole thing, but ended up shooting uh, while I was sitting down um, from my butt, like just through a little three-inch gap in the, in the trees at like 35 yards, uh, which is a great lesson and always keep your bow on you. Uh, super lucky that situa- situation happened. But um, all that to say, like if you're, you don't want to walk in the middle of the herd and set up your tent, but if you're two, 300 yards away from them, as long as you're not in sight or in smell, smell, smell being by far the most important, they mm-hmm. don't care if you're right on them. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Didn't, didn't you like set down your dinner and then pick up your bow and shoot the, shoot the elk? Yes. I literally was with my wife and we were sitting at the Creek looking at each other. Um, and I didn't plan it. I kind of got lucky on this, but I was sitting with my right side. I'm a, I'm a left-handed shooter. So I shoot to the right side of my body. I was sitting with that facing up the hill towards the trail we camped, the elk trail we camped near. And uh, I was literally looking at her and I heard a snap, you know, I've been in the woods enough now that I know the difference between a branch breaking and a branch breaking. And like, this was the ladder, right? This is the elk breaking the branch. Mm-hmm. And I like, looked at her and like, she kind of looked at me a little weird. My eyes were like the size of dinner plates. I literally took my freeze-dried meal and just dropped it. He <laughs> <laughs> ran in. Yeah, the cow ran in uh, and almost hit us. She's like five or 10 yards from us and was staring at us. And I really wanted her to get an elk. Mm-hmm. So we just sat there and sat there and sat there. And the elk finally, you know, the cow just did the woof and left. Mm-hmm. But the bull ran up right after that, sat right behind the tree uh, and he was looking for us. Like he knew something was up, but he had put his head, fortunately, behind some trees. And uh, I actually, in that moment, had the time to reach over to my bow, pick it up, unknock the arrow, put the arrow on, you know, raise the, the launcher, get everything set up, flick open my wrist release. Yet another reason I like a wrist release, not a, not a hand one, but that's another thing. And uh, draw back arrange him and then draw back because he was just sitting there for probably 10 to 20 seconds and wow. uh, yeah got fortunate and you uh, pretty hard to tell where it was in the body but i knew that it was at least in the zone and uh wow. made the shot and he was down 80 yards later so yeah 
Yeah. I remember you coming into work like after that weekend. Cause you had left, I think on Friday. Yeah. I saw you on Monday and I was like, did you get one? And you were like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, no way. <laughs> no way. I, yeah. 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 It doesn't happen like that all the time, but, uh, that was, uh, that was the year after the first year I didn't get an elk. So oh yeah. I got elk the other three or four years. And I was like this, this guy, the problem with raghorns like that is, man, they're so tasty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is a no brainer, yeah, especially because we had Margaret's uh, tag to fill. So I really wanted to, to get her an elk. It's like, well, I'll put mine on the ground and then we'll spend the whole week focusing on her. But yeah. So like that night you camped out by like that stream the very next morning when you woke up, did you pack? Oh, well, I guess you had an elk to pack out. So you probably just packed up your entire camp, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get yeah, back yeah. to the, get back to the decision between the two, but you know, typically what I'll do is I'll set up that camp at like three or four in the afternoon, mm-hmm. then I'll hunt and then I'll have a tent that's already ready. You know, I'll eat dinner before I go out. I'll have everything like set up so I can just roll back to the tent and go to bed. Right. Uh, and then the next morning, usually I'm in a pretty elky area, so I'm going to wake up and hunt again. Then, depending on how things went, I'll come back, pick up the tent, move somewhere else. It's like oh. kind of a hybrid approach, right? Okay. Now, if I get onto elk and it's hot or like the night before I hunted and there's just no fresh sign, no nothing, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, zero dark, whatever, I'm getting up, packing it all, and I'm moving the seconds that goes. Um, oh, and you're moving your camp during the middle of the day when it's like not as prime time for hunting. Well, actually, I think the middle of the day might be the best time, but I'm oh. <laughs> fairly alone on that. But we'll get into that in the later podcast. Okay. Yeah, I'm, there's no bad time on elk, let's be clear. Uh, but backpacking, like before we get too far off of the, the whole structure here, the backpacking pros and cons. Most guys think the benefit of backpacking is avoiding pressure. Like I hate to break it to you, but at any distance that you're going to want to pack an elk out, you're never going to get away from pressure. There's always going to be guys there. Gotcha. Really, the the key benefit of backpacking is what I'd say the single most important thing to kill on an elk. You spend far more time hunting elk than you do doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. You wake up in the morning, within 100 yards, you're somewhere you can shoot one. You don't spend two hours every morning hiking all the way into where they are. You literally camp right on top of them, right? Right. Um, and there's there's kind of this sweet spot to backpack too. If you go too far in, you actually get close to the drop camps and the guides and the guys that are back there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course that one to two miles from the road, they'll hate that generally. So they're going to be in. So that kind of two to five mile range is where the, you know, there's going to be a lot of elk and then where you can actually get them out easily. Interesting. Too. So maybe I do a two to five mile in and then just get a packer. So I don't have to worry about packing out like four miles. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, you know, to get back to that spending time hunting thing, uh, mm-hmm. you just, with backpacking, everyone's like, oh, well, it's a lot more, you have to be a lot more fit and a lot more in shape. But I, I actually think I like to backpack because I'm lazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> guys that sit at a road area, they have to hike, like I said, two to three miles every morning. There's a lot of times if I'm in elk and I'm in an area, I mean, I'm hunting within the mile around my tent for a day or two. So oh, wow, okay. I'm sleeping until six, six thirty. They're getting up at four every morning, right? I'm going to bed at like eight or nine. Um, I'm only hiking a half a mile. It's really nice. So why would you car camp? Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of different things, right? With backpacking, let's be real. You're going to sleep worse, right? You got this little tiny mattress. The three to four inch mattresses these days are phenomenal. Lands different than when I was backpacking 20 years ago. 
But mm-hmm. that being said, you're probably not going to sleep as nice as you are on that beautiful memory foam mattress. <laughs> like, yeah. How did your first night go last year when you were scouting? Oh, terrible. I could, well, also because of altitude, I just, I had no idea how my body was going to react to it. I couldn't fall asleep till like midnight in Colorado. Um, I yeah. think I was at 9,000 feet, maybe 10. And yeah, I just was rolling around in bed and I finally fell asleep and then you wake up super early and you just can't fall back asleep. It was terrible. Yeah. Both nights too. Yeah. And some guys try to take sleeping pills and stuff and then oh, you just get bad sleep on sleeping pills anyway. You know, I found it just takes a night or two to stabilize and then you get good at sleeping. And you probably get so exhausted that when your head hits the pillow, it lights out. Yeah. And as guys get older too, you got to pee during the night, right? Not really mm-hmm. something you're thinking about yet, but uh, <laughs> you can you can take an algae bottle in specifically for that. I started doing that with my wife too. Just makes life mm-hmm. a lot easier for her. Yeah. Uh, but sleeping worse is definitely a factor. Uh, it's expensive, right? You got to buy all this gear for backpacking that you wouldn't have to buy for car camping or you buy a right. version of logistics. Dude, it's, it's a lot of work, right? Um, we're fairly organized, somewhat geeky guys. Well, I know at least that's my, that's my personality type, right? But uh <laughs> I don't mind it that much, but it's a lot to keep track of. Then uh, you got to be in shape. I mean, straight up, you got to carry a 40 pound pack and, you know, kill something five miles in. You got a lot of work, like we talked about. Yeah, yeah. And so the main benefit of car camping would just be comfort, I guess. Oh, but then you still have to hike out like two miles every morning or however many miles every morning and back in, at night, too. Yeah, no, actually, the, the biggest benefit of car camping, and this is all this counter intuitive advice guys will all be like oh it's comfort and it's easy no the biggest benefit of car camping is it's really easy to relocate oh because you just drive off you can just drive off so elk hunting like we're talking about before elk move they you know wolf comes in hunters bump them something happens i actually have a strong viewpoint that elk will stay in the same area every year if nothing goes there but anyway that's a whole aside guys a lot of guys don't believe that but i found the same elk in the same spot four years in a row Mm -hmm. Uh, but that being said, they move like that if something moves them. So you might go into an area that's worked really well for you for three, four years and there's no elk. And if you backpack in, you take a half day to get all the way in there. You set up your crap, you figure out there's no elk. Hey, you got to take a whole another half day to get out. You're tired. You're relocating. When you're car camping, you walk in, there's no elk. You walk out, you turn the keys, you're out of there. Right, right, right. So you always want to have, you know, spots A, B, C, D, E, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Car camping, it's really easy to kind of reposition quickly. Um, I mean, you, you talked about the downside, which is you got to hike to the elk. Like it's really a pain in the butt. But yeah. you also get that. You might get better night's sleep. You get warm food. Uh, and you get some of that backpacking, but you can you can eat stuff you can't carry, right? The change of clothes, all these things, comforts, creature comforts. Yeah. And I guess if you have the backpacking gear, then you you have the benefits of backpacking. But if it's really bad, you could come out to your car, drive out to a new area, and then go backpack into that new area. So at least you have the option of both. Look at that. You're picking up on it pretty quick. <laughs> uh, that's exactly how I hunt. So every time I go, and again, this gets back to my mantra of like, spend the most time hunting and that's that's not you know spend a month hunting every year that's of the week how many minutes of the day are you somewhere you can kill an elk mm-hmm. but when i leave the car i've packed uh, the other thing i'm a big fan of is to only do a two to four day trip backpacking because you can only cover so much territory that's within two to five miles of the car right mm-hmm. so what you don't want to do is go spend all that time sitting there like relocate if there's not elk there so 
never never plan for longer than a two to three day backpack in my opinion Mm -hmm. Uh, unless you're in an area that requires it but i pack everything up for two to three days four days whatever it's going to be i walk out and if i'm seeing elk right next to the car like last year we had guys kill a monster six point fourth of a mile up the, the canyon from where we were um and we'd, I'd try to bugle him in two years in a row. He always went up the same darn draw. We'd uh, seen him. We'd had him come in at 20 yards on the other side of some bushes, whatever. He's a fourth of a mile from the truck. So if I see sign and I see that, I'm going to go right back to the car and sleep there that night, right? Like, why would I right. go any further? I'm in elk. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can car camp, right? And then the second he disappears, you're out of there. Right, right, right. Yeah. But if you don't uh, see him, you're going in. You're going to keep going. I'm going to do the loop of that area, right? Go cover all the ground that's within like two to five miles of the truck. If there's elk, I find him, set up camp. If not, I'm out. I'm in the car moving. Right. I think you just Mr. Miyagi'd me. <laughs> <laughs> like you planted Something these like seeds that. along the way. And then I was like, just uh, in, the, in the middle of talking, I was like, wait. You kind of do both. <laughs> kind of do both. Yeah. And that's backpacking with a car. <laughs> takes a long time for a lot of guys to realize that because uh, they'll, they're used to whitetail where like they're going to always be in the same area. You pattern them, you just sit, you know, if you sit on that same trail for a month, it's going to mm-hmm. pay off. Right. Uh, right. It's not elk at all. Uh, so that's, they kind of have to unlearn that. If they're from the West Coast, they're used to just like, go hard, backpack all the time. And like you might, you might go all the way back somewhere and there's nothing, you know, and you just burned a day of hunting time. Yeah. So it's all about being where those elk are all the time. Got it. Yeah. So that, that common denominator that we're always optimizing for, it sounds like is just spending as much time as you can hunting, actual hunting instead of hiking to the hunting spot or any other million other things that you could be doing. Uh, yep. Versus just hunting. And my general rule of thumb is you should always be somewhere that you can get to where elk are within 15 minutes, Got which it. that kind of scares guys. They're like, whoa, but you know, like I said, you can camp pretty much right on top of elk. I've spent an entire day within 200 yards of elk, just waiting for, uh, with the tent set up, waiting for the thermals to change, you know, like, don't be an idiot, 200 yards in an open field with the wind blowing. Yeah. You can't be there. There's yeah, no way. But if you're over a ridge or you're, you know, through thick timber or you're somewhere that doesn't have elk trails, you know, they're not going there. You can be mm-hmm. right on them. Nice. Yeah. Wow. It's good stuff. So I feel like you got good answers to those three questions. I do. Yeah. Uh, I, as of now, I'm still going solo. If I do end up going with a partner, I will definitely have to go on a trip with that person yeah. uh, ahead of time. Um, for the second part, which was, uh, guided yeah that one was interesting i'm definitely going to get a packer uh if i go solo yeah that's uh, cool yeah and then the drop off drop camp is tempting that's that's an interesting option yeah um and then the diy yeah i'm just definitely go diy backpacking um yeah and i've yeah. got a i've got a pretty good story to you on a packer maybe it's a good one to to close it out on too. okay yeah uh, the first year i went so i was very really lucky the first year i went um I'd planned to take a month off. I'd quit my job and it's like, Hey, I'm going to take a, a full month here and just like dedicate it to elk hunting. So when I, when I went in, I maybe wasn't as organized as I could have been, but I'd called the packer and been like, Hey, you know, can you do this if I need to? He's like, yeah, sure. Great. But I hadn't really written down their address or their phone number. I was like, I'll get it after my first trip. Right. No big deal. <laughs> so 
again, pretty lucky. Third day I shoot my first elk, third day ever. Um, really amazing. We can talk about that story another time. But I shoot him at three. You know, of course, it takes me like five hours to butcher him, six hours to butcher him because I'm so low and I've never done this before. And you forgot your knife sharpener, right? Yeah, I forgot my knife sharpener. That's right. That's right. So, <laughs> it's about the worst to every world. Um, you know, I tell guys I've done an Ironman crazy triathlon. I've done a lot of other crazy stuff, but that six hours was one of the most mentally difficult things wow, <laughs> I've ever dang. done. Really? But uh, got it. Well, it's just, you get this amazing moment where it's like, you finally have your first elk on the ground and you're like, man, I, I'm going to kill myself if I let the meat go to waste, right? You're right. freaking out. Um, anyway, get the meat hung up just in time. I'd seen a black bear that morning too. I was like, this thing's going to be all over me. Um, I'm bloody. I'm nasty. I start running out of there in the dark, get to the car pretty much right after sundown. I'm all wired up. I'm like, okay, let me go get the packer. And I go to go out on the dirt road that got into the area I was, and it's close. <laughs> the packers, the, oh, so you drove out to the, 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 uh, packers. We were going to drive out to the general area they're at, but the dirt road I drove in on is closed. What? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, okay. this is, this is going to get weirder and weirder. Don't worry. So now I'm like, great, I've got to drive down this back road that I don't have a map for. Bring your GPS, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, but I know 20 miles that way, hopefully it hits the highway. So I start driving down this random dirt road, middle of nowhere. Uh, there's signs, you know, like it's not a totally bogus dirt road, but it's, I've never been here and I have no clue other than the fact it generally comes out in 20 miles on the highway I want to go to. So I'm driving down that. I look over and there's a fancy lodge, a huge lodge sitting there. I'm like, oh, perfect. I'll just go there and have them call the guy. So I walk up and there's a guy there. Uh, he's like, you're eyeing me up as I'm coming up. No, no, no. It's even better. There's a little tiny cabin. Shakira's playing full volume. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on? We're in the middle of nowhere and a dude is working out in this little cabin. It's a full exercise gear. and He's playing Shakira. I'm like... <laughs> keeping the handgun on me. Um, it's a lot of, so we had a real interesting interaction where I walk up bloody with a handgun in my, you know, in my holster. He's kind of like, what's going on, man? Uh, so we have a, uh, we have a real frank conversation and he's like, listen, I don't want you bloody hunter coming into this lodge. It turns out it's a thousands of dollars a night kind of retreat. Uh, but I live down that dirt road and my partner's over there in the building. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So yeah, drive over there. He'll let you use the phone. I'm like, okay, this is getting weirder by the second. Right? Granted, it's like 10 at night and I'm freaking out because I want to get the packer in the next morning. Right. Mm -hmm. So I drive over there. It takes a long time to figure out which cabin it was. It was like go 200 yards past this creek, go up this thing. Mm -hmm. I pull up. There's a guy there and he is baked out of his mind. <laughs> <laughs> High as a kite and more tattoos than you've ever seen. Whole body covered. Um, he opens the, opens the door and I'm just like, Oh man, you know, I'm like, this is, this is straight up like danger zone. And, uh, the first thing he says, Oh, Hey man, how's it going? I'm watching the dark night. You want to come in? <laughs> what? Wait, is this the Packer or is this? So oh, this is me still trying to, to get a phone to call the Packer. Oh, okay. <laughs> still gets better. And, uh, and I'm like, this is, Oh, this is really bad. So you know, after five or 10 minutes of conversation, I'm like, okay, I don't think he's an ax murderer. I'll go in. You stay in front of me. Can I use your phone? You know, talk to him for 20 minutes. Long story short, I pick up his phone. There's not even a dial tone. And I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm out of here yesterday. This is sketchy. Whoa. He's just trying to get me to watch the movie with him. I'm like, it's been great. It's been real. Appreciate your help. 
I'm out of here. <laughs> Dang. And you had no cell signal at this area or nothing. Point. Nothing. Oh, so I wow. hop in the car and I'm like, Bo duking it out of there. You know, going like 80 on a little dirt road. I'm like, I'm fully creeped out at this point in time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I get to the road and I'd seen the ranch that had the packer on the way in, mm-hmm. but realized I popped out on this highway 20 miles the wrong direction. Oh. So let's keep this from being a two hour podcast. I drove up and down this stretch of road like, I think it was three times back. And oh forth. my gosh. Finally, Just like, frantic, huh? Frantic. I can't find it. I drive to cell reception, figure out you know, where they are, call them. Of course, they don't pick up because they're all in bed at nine. You know, they're hunting elk every day. Mm-hmm. But I figure out kind of where it is, drive back up there, find the ranch, pull in at like 2 a.m. Wow. <laughs> like this is, this is bad. So I just sleep in my, the back of my truck, sitting in front of the main lodge. The guys can't miss me. Yeah. <laughs> 4.30 a.m., two and a half hours of sleep later, I hear boom, boom, boom on the back of the truck. Like, you know, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, I pop up, you know, sleeping in my gear, bloody, you know, on this mattress. I'm sure the guy's like, what is this kid's deal? Uh, look at him. Like, hey, how's it going? Can you pack out an elk for me? <laughs> is that the first thing you said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the guy, you could tell the guy was like, what is going on? Uh, so it took like an hour negotiating because they didn't know if they had a packer, yada, yada, yada. Long story short, got the packers. We drove, we had to drive all the way up there, you know, ride the horses up, get the elk. It took a full day, uh, longest day of my life. You hadn't eaten, just crazy. But moral of that story, get your packer lined up ahead of time, know where he is. Yeah, it's, it's a good problem to have, but man, it was pretty crazy story is wait is that the trip where you had to push the horses up yeah yeah that's exactly oh. one yeah <laughs> oh, go back it, and got it you know i didn't really know you know i've been around horses and owned a horse and we've, we've been in the back country but i guess i was pushing the envelope a little bit on like what the steepness was those things could go up yeah yeah, uh, yeah. important note for guys like the thing that really is a problem if you don't know horses the thing that's a huge problem for ho- horses is deadfall it's stuff that's just laying there. Uh, they they really don't have a good time going through dick, thick uh, deadfall. Oh, yeah. So they okay. Uh, and that was the hard part for me. It's not only was it super steep, but one side of the creek was just covered in it, and so the oh. other side that wasn't covered in it was incredibly steep. So it took a little bit of coaxing per se for me to push that thing uphill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the guy we had two guys come with me. One was like eighty and had some problems. You know, he'd, he'd been an outfitter for 50 years, really incredible guy. Um, and then the other guy was pretty young. We actually had to leave the guy down below <laughs> Whoa. to get the elk because he couldn't even make it up, Wow, uh, which is also a good indication of the kind of stuff you should be hunting. Uh, yeah, yeah, where the elk are. But anyway, great story. Great. I never, never, yeah, I never heard the never full version. It. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> nuts. Pretty incredible. Holy. Yeah, that whole time your elk's out there, your first one like just hung up, and you already yeah. saw a bear. And oh man, I jumped a bear. You know, I'd walked up on it twenty yards away, and it was oh, only dang. a fourth of a mile from where I shot that elk. So the whole time I'm sitting there going, I don't want to be butchering this alone in the dark. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's that is scary. Yeah, that is intense. But anyway, this could, this could go a thousand other directions. You know, predators eating stuff. Is it okay to leave it overnight? But maybe we cut this one off here and uh, yeah save some stories for the next round. Sounds good. Um, I do want to make the point, um, that that was that night was like a month after you bought your first bow, which 
when I heard that, I was like super impressed with that and have, have since been always just picking your brain and having conversations just like this, but like not recorded, obviously. Um, so yeah, that's why I was so excited to do the podcast. It's like I can simultaneously learn, but then share all this information with everybody at the same time. So yeah, yeah thanks, for, thanks for the ego boost there, John. <laughs> uh, no, it's, I mean, I think that's like, there was, I put a lot, I trained my butt off. I learned my butt off. I did a lot of things to make sure that would work out well. But at the end of the day, like a lot of it's luck. Um, and if you, you know, I don't, what I don't want is guys to think that's normal or even remotely in the realm of possibility. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I got to be humble enough to admit that like a huge percentage of that was luck. And so, you know, go out there, get excited. But if you don't get something your first year, that's really normal. Right. Yeah. That's, that's totally normal. And, um, you know, I've been pretty lucky to kill a lot of elk, but, uh, the harder you work, the luckier you will get, but also right. never forget that life has got a lot of luck to it. Boom. Boom. That is a great way to end. I think that is a great way to end. Awesome. So, you know, for guys that are listening to this, there's an article on all three of these questions on baxterbowman.com B-A-X-T-E-R Bowman. If you can't spell that, we got problems. Baxterbowman.com. Um, there's an article on this. Uh, the other thing I'd push guys to do is there's a newsletter there. Uh, literally all I do is send them one email a week. We'll update them with podcasts, all the new articles, all the new reviews, that sort of thing. Um, it's just my way of keeping in touch with people that are reading the things I'm doing here for fun. So really appreciate it if guys sign up for that. We're going to do the obligatory uh, podcast thing and be like, please rate or subscribe. You always hear guys say that, but like there's only one way to get other people to hear about this. And that's for you to, you go over there and click the stars, leave a review, um, and subscribe to the podcast because that's how the algorithms work. So really appreciate it. If anybody listened, if you like this, help us out by doing that. If not, just come back next week. We'll be doing it again. And most of all, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thanks for spending your time with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, more, more crazy stories to come. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait.